Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Hey, everyone, welcome to episode 84 of The Reclaim Leader, helping you lead change without losing your roots. I'm Jason Tucker, here with Jesse Skiffington. How's it going, Jesse? Doing well, Jason. Uh, just enjoying uh, finally some sunshine out here in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, kind of everybody's sort of in summertime mode in real time here. You know, it's that time in the program life of the church where we just can't wait for school to end. Uh, all of our volunteers are wearing out in kids ministry. and Everything's kind of stretched. Uh, and so, um, but that's okay. I mean, it means we've been all working really hard together and, and doing a lot of things. And um, so anyway, just getting ready for summer mode here as we, as we kind of move along. Um, but today we wanted to stop and have a conversation uh, about care ministries in the life of the church, specifically pastoral care. What do we do with it? What are the expectations? What are some models that are working or not working out there? And how is that impacting you as a pastor and as a leader in your particular congregation. We've all heard it, Jason, and I've heard it said to me in some version or another, unless the pastor is there, it doesn't count, right? Somehow the pastor being physically present in a care situation for certain uh, generations or certain um, sort of uh, ways of looking at the church from from different viewpoints in the congregation, people kind of have that mentality but that's not scalable. We, we, we're the ceiling on that. And we, frankly, we, we can't do it. It's, it's not going to work. So we're going to talk about care ministries today and kind of wrestle through and just kind of ask some questions and have a conversation. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of foundational questions that we have to tackle first before we get to kind of what's working in churches is first you have to acknowledge that pastoral care as a generation or two before us uh, is defined differently as care would be defined even now. And I, I, in this area, you know, we talked before we hit record, I have a lot more questions than answers, but the observation is, and not just mine, but, you know, I know Carrie Newhoff's written on this. A lot of people have written on this is that, you know, past the pastoral care model that the pastor does all the pastoral care is not scalable. It's not sustainable. You could do that for 30 people well, you can't do it for 230 well. You can't, it's simply not possible or else everything else starts to suffer. Your message preparation time, you know, uh, your vision and mission stuff, all that starts to suffer. I have felt that to be true, Jesse, but I wonder why did it work for that generation of pastors that was maybe two generations ahead of us? Why did it work for them? Was it they needed to be less entrepreneurial. They needed to be less focused on kind of leadership vision stuff because church just sort of happened. Or is that an overly simplistic, you know, view of well, what they, how they pastored? Sure. There's a lot of nuance to it. And, and there are some great leaders in past generations in the church. But I would say in, a, in Christendom, you know, before the post-Christian reality that we live in today, really pastors were there to serve as sort of shepherds and caretakers of a congregation, teach them 
to follow the truths of scripture and to understand Jesus and the implications of Jesus for their life together, but to really to care for the people, to care for the flock, to, to shepherd the community. And that was really the role of pastor, I think, in the Christendom context where everybody, you know, so quote unquote, everybody was a Christian uh, in a certain sense. Just what kind of Christian were you? Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, you know. Um, and so I think that was what that 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 context lent itself to that sort of leadership in the church, right? Um, yeah. There's less need, as you mentioned, for churches to be innovative and entrepreneurial and outwardly focused. And so the natural tendency is to look inside and, and care for those that are in your flock. And so I, I don't think it makes it wrong. I just think it was a different cultural context in a yeah. Christendom reality that doesn't exist today. And a different kind of leadership is is needed. So that's probably overly simplistic too, but that's kind of my sense sense of it. Yeah, I think uh, like when I went to my first call out of seminary, it was a, a small church who had had sort of their their legendary pastor. And every church has the legend, right? That if if your church is more than fifty years older, you, you have a legendary pastor that you know. This pastor had been there twenty five years, and and everybody knew him for his pastoral care. And I even heard people say like they gushed about this guy, like he was he was just the most amazing human to draw breath. And yet, at the same time, um, he was pretty much not forced out, but you know they knew they needed to make a change. And they would say things like, well, he wasn't the best preacher in the world, but when my son Timmy broke his arm, he left his personal vacation to be at the hospital with us as a family. And like, so everybody had a memory of him, like pastoral care w- was his whole ministry. And so when I stepped into that, I, I was disappointing everybody right. <laughs> because right. that's not what I envisioned. I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't have that either to draw from. I felt like pastoral care isn't always done the best when it's done by me. I, I don't feel very good at it. I, I do it, but I don't feel like it's a gifting. Sure. And so, you know, I'm not looking to go to the hospital every day you know, between certain hours. I do think this is a generational thing too, but we've also seen um, a critique of the way that pastors have been trained classically, you know, over the last 50 to uh, plus years, you know, that we focused on the the pastor as shepherd and teacher, as, as caretaker and expositor of God's word. You know, those were kind of the two things that even in our seminary training, that was the focus. And what, what I've noticed, and I think you know, one of the reasons we have this conversation and even have a podcast, is that the call in the church now uh, is for leadership. Um, and if you look at you know some of the folks out there have done different things, um, uh, you know about the APEST model: apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, or pastors and teachers. Out of Ephesians four, Alan Hirsch and others um, uh, have written on this that that the leadership piece or the entrepreneurial leadership of like an apostle uh, kind of personality is what's needed in the church today. And that's more who we see being drawn into leadership in the life of the church. And so um, it it isn't our, our pastoral care isn't our first instinct. It's not our wiring even, and it's not our giftedness. It doesn't make it unimportant care. We're going to talk about that today. Our care for each other is crucially important. But I think coming out of Christendom, there's a lot of churches that have made the mistake of thinking of this inward focus of thinking that that our our pastoral care or our care for each 
other is the mission of the church. Yeah. To be a caring community is the mission of the church. Now, we ought to be a caring community. We need to be that. But that's not our purpose, right? That's that's part of our life. It's not the purpose of our life. And so uh, yeah. lots of changes going on generationally as we've seen a different kind of need for leadership in the church that is come into confrontation or to conflict with actual congregations and their experience of past pastors. And then guys like you and I show up and they're like, do you care even a little bit? about <laughs> me? Right? Give me something, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think, um, I mean, definitely when I've talked to people about this who grew up in the church or maybe older generations, they, uh, there are some who definitely see the whole pastoral care thing as a bit of an idol. Um, I mean, it's, it's like its own thing. It's a thing. <laughs> and when I look at scripture, I, I don't see, you know, obviously in those, that first Christian community that we see in the book of Acts, I mean, it doesn't give us absolutely everything necessarily, but it, it doesn't say, and the pastor visited all of the members and they were happy and rejoiced greatly. You know, it was, it wasn't that it was the people taking care of each other. And I definitely feel uh, strongly that a healthy church is where people are taking care of each other, where Absolutely. Christians are walking yeah. alongside, doing life together, yeah. and that's their care. They yeah. they don't need the pastor to show up at the hospital because they got a, a whole community who's going right. to be praying for them and with them. We need to create cultures of care in our congregation because care is a vital part of our life as followers of Jesus. The world will know you're my disciples by the way you love each other, right? Care is incredibly important. Um, so much so that the, the leaders in, in early in the early part of Acts, they they set people aside for that purpose specifically, uh, but not at the expense of, of the mission. It was in order for the mission to move forward, the proclamation of the news about Jesus to move forward. And um, so, I think at its best, care is this this gift to the church where we look out for, love each other, help each other, help meet needs that exist. Um, and, and that's really life-giving and it's a witness to our community when we care for each other really well. At its worst, I think it's an inwardly focused um, reality that begins to suffocate our ability to reach out with the good news. And we, it becomes all about us and, yeah. uh, and, and that can be dangerous. And, and it, I think it draws a certain type of personality into the church community where it feels good to have people that have lots of needs so that we can meet their needs. And there's some dependency things that happen in churches and some sort of victim kinds of things that happen in churches and toxicity that happens in churches around care. That is um, something we need to pay attention to and be thoughtful yeah. about. And um, I think um, for a lot of our churches, maybe you listening in, you know that something in your care system or pastoral care or approach to care needs to shift and change but like Jason, like you and I, we're trying to figure out how to navigate that faithfully while managing a whole bunch of different expectations about what pastoral care looks like in the life of the church. It can be tricky. Absolutely. And so if those are some of the foundational questions, you know, how is it different? Why, why does it matter? I think because pastors are burning themselves out trying totally. to care trying for Trying to meet those expectations. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, yeah, we feel that pressure from people. And we know that when we're there, it, it sort of validates the situation in a way that maybe others don't. Certainly for the older generations, when we're there, it validates the situation differently than if we send Absolutely. an associate pastor or an elder or not that they can't do it, but there's something about you being there that 
gives sort of weight to the experience or something. And they, they legitimately believe, many, many legitimately believe that the pastor's prayers count more. Right. Yeah. Our, our experience and, as chaplains told us that over and over right. again. No, you pray. You're closer to God. He's more likely right. to listen to your prayer. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I'm like, actually, I'm not sure I'll even mean my prayer because it's, uh, this is like my 90th prayer of the right. day. But maybe if you pray from the, the longing and, and, you know, that depth of need in your heart, I bet God will be more attentive to that prayer. So why don't you do it? Right. Yeah. But yeah. Somehow there's. And, these, yeah. and as a result, you know, um, what all the research is showing and what, you know, kind of the thinkers of our day are saying about church world is that um, if the pastor is doing all the pastoral care, it's really putting a lid on your impact uh, on your community because you can only do that for so many people. And, um, you know, you can hire more pastors, but, you know, chances are that's not going to be the answer. So, some of the most compelling stuff I've heard about pastoral care, again, has to do with if you create a small group culture, mm -hmm. then the groups are sort of creating care organically. And a lot of the care is being met by the small groups. But the challenge for churches like ours is that, you know, our church, um, it, it didn't begin with a culture of small groups. It's small groups is a fairly recent addition to its life and, and witness. So there's going to be a bunch of people who just aren't in That's what right. we would think of when we think of small groups. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So then the question becomes, how do we, if, if the system of care is not going to be the pastor does it all, then, then how do we change the system to make it effective for both those realities that we do have a small group thing happening and we do have a kind of a, we're not in small groups and never have and probably never will be. And so how do we create a, a, an effective system of care? And that's honestly, that's where we're stuck right now. Yeah. It's, there are some things that we do well, but there are some real big holes in our systems that we're trying to figure out. Yeah. I think some of those holes probably relate to is how do we know when there's a need? How do we even learn right. about the need? Um, how do we know when someone needs help and what kind of help they need? And then how do we connect that need to something organized in the life of the church that can actually help be, be helpful in meeting that need in some way? Uh, what needs are the right needs to even try to meet? How, how far can we even go? Is there a boundary on our care? Right. Yeah. Um, we, we've had all kinds of conversations here over the years from people wanting to keep notebooks on people with contact, emergency contact information of, you know, relatives and friends so that if something happens, we have someone to call and do they have a DNR? What are the, what I'm like, wait a minute, this is way overstepping here. Right. I, yeah. In my mind. Right. Yeah. So what is, what, what can we offer as an organized community? What's inappropriate? Um, where's the boundary and how do we do all that? And that's, it, it's an extended conversation. You got to really wrestle through to figure out how to identify needs and then work together as a community to meet those needs in meaningful and appropriate ways. And so that's yeah. where our questions at Marine V, we were circling around. Okay. If people are slipping through the cracks, that's not good. We can't have that. We don't want anybody to, to go through something hard and be missed because we didn't have a good system in place or they weren't known in a group or something. Um, we don't want to miss these. We don't want people to slip through the cracks. Um, we also want to be um, uh, mindful of the people that we're asking to, to provide care. What's reasonable? Um, 
are they set up for success? Do they have the training they need? You know, there's, there's lots of these questions that kind of circle around it. And so, you know, at Marine V, we've, we've taken this approach that we want the front lines of our care to be in our relationships with each other in the congregation first, in our individual relationships and in our group relationships. And so I think one-on-one, if you see a need, don't just assume we all know, no, make it known. And we want our first stop of, of pastoral care or care ministries in the life of the church to be the relationships that already exist in our in our particular life. So say you're say Jason is a member of our congregation and Jason, you're going through something hard. Uh, what we hope you will tune to first and what we want to create a culture to have happen is that you will reach out to the people in your small group or just that you know relationally in the life of the church. That should be your first source of, of care. Uh, people that are already in your life. It's more natural that way. Um, I know this uh, for the millennials. They do not like it when a stranger shows up at their door with a meal that they're not sure they even want to eat. Right. And so they're really hesitant to reach out to our, uh, what, you know, the way we had organized deacons before they wouldn't even reach out to the deacons because they just, they wanted to kind of be left alone. And we saw them reaching out to the, the circle that was naturally already in their life, whether they were in a small group or not. So that relational connection that culture of care as a community where we say it's all of your job. All of our job is caring for each other when we see needs. That's it's, it's a culture. It's who we are as Christians. We care for each other. It's a key behavior of a follower of Christ. Don't just wait for the pastor or the deacons or the elders to yeah. do it. Take the initiative to care. Is that, is that kind of make sense? That relationship? Yeah. Style? Yeah. That's really good. Do you, do you talk about that from up front? We do. Yeah. So we, yeah. and, and, I'm not saying that we have got it all figured out. I'll share some of our challenges here in a minute too. But this was kind of where we got to with our deacons feeling like they needed to, and our deacons, we charge with the care ministries life of the church in partnership with me and the the pastoral team. And uh, we noticed that they were wondering about their purpose and feeling like they, they need to redefine who they are and how they operate. And this is what kind of came out of that, that we need to create a culture of care. It's all of our job together to care for each other. And sometimes in those relationships, those one-on-one relationships, or even in our small group, we get to a point where we need help from the rest of the congregation. And so we move from that relational care piece where we, we, we rely and lean on our natural relationships that already exist. Sometimes we need the organized care uh, from the life of the church in a, in a, in a bigger way. And that's where we said, deacons, you represent in partnership with the pastors, the organized care of the church. It's, it's what we do in a more formal way when that relational care needs support. So here's an example. Um, I, you know, this cause, um, we were talking about it last week, but my son will, uh, was swinging and, uh, he, you know, how kids love to jump out of the swing and he and his buddy were swinging to see who could uh, you know, jump the farthest out of the swing. And of course he uh, jumped a little bit too far, ended up falling and, and breaking his arm. And, uh, you know, so here's classic, classic, right. And I think he won, I'm not sure, but <laughs> he, he, his, his sister Addie said, uh, Will was five feet high, or, you know, so I guess, that, I guess that means really high, but he fell and he broke his arm. This is just recently here. And what made the most sense for us is that the people we're close with in our lives would reach out to us not some stranger from the church, from a group or community, you know, a group that they don't know and not even from, you know, a pastor necessarily. It'd be great to have a touch point, but we had some people that are in our, in our friendship circle that were really supportive. Somebody brought us pizza one night. Um, somebody brought Will a bag of Sour Patch Kids. 
And, but it came out of a naturally already existing relationship that felt organic and real rather than sort of this um, sort of forced thing. Does that make sense? I mean, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, and I'm definitely all, all in on this. And so how do you create that culture though? Right. Correct. So yeah. it's creating that culture, but then what systems back that culture up? Sure. So there's totally. kind of or, organic care systems. Yep. But then w- what happens like, for example, somebody walks in into Tower Hill and they let somebody who they have a relationship know that they got, you know, they have a surgery coming up. Yeah. How does that information, including all the HIPAA stuff? So yeah, it's funny explaining to some octogenarians totally. about so why hard. we can't yep. share certain prayer information. Right. They're just like, are you kidding right. me? This is a church. And yeah. in some way, I agree with them, but you know, you got to be careful with that stuff. Because yep. um, it's, you know, the whole oversharing. But how does how does the information make its way up um, to your desk or whoever's kind of overseeing care? Is there a central location where care is overseen so that there's some kind of coordination of care or at least a tracking to know where people are and what's going on in their lives? What system do you have? Is it the deacons? Is it someone else? How does that how does that work? Because I feel yeah. like we we don't have a system. So, yeah. and, and it's easy for things to yeah. fall through the cracks when there's not a system, right? Right. So our system really begins with um, prayer requests, uh, people, you know, letting us know about needs. So I say this um, pretty regularly. If you see something, say something. I mean, we stole that from the New York subway, I think, you know, or whatever. But yeah. help us see the needs because we might not always know. The organized life of the church, we, we don't always know everything that's going on in everybody's life, shockingly. We can't, yeah. can't do that, right? So we need to know. And so the first thing is creating an opportunity for people to let us know. And so they can do that. Um, you know, there are pew cards that people can fill out prayer requests. Uh, there's uh, an online form where people can fill out a prayer request. And then the primary point of contact, and I think this is where our system does need some work, is through, though, still the church office and our office team who then gets in touch with our deacons or whoever would be appropriate for a next, uh, next touch point. And so sometimes that can be the bottleneck because they have a million other things going on too, right? That they're trying to get done. Yeah. And so um, that's where we've kind of uh, seen some some backup sometimes. But this idea of of getting needs communicated upstream so that that we're aware of them is a, is is so important. Otherwise, we can't we can't meet a need that we don't know about, right? So creating yeah. uh, creating ways for needs to be made known. And then you got to handle those needs appropriately. So just some best practices out there. Um, we never we never share a prayer request that's secondhand uh, for someone else. In other words, yeah. if 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 I say I I'm asking for prayer for Jason because you know he's going through a hard time and I think he's really um, struggling right now and he needs help. Can you please pray for him? Or he has a big surgical procedure coming up and uh, he needs prayer. We, we don't post that prayer request until we reach out to you personally and get your, your go ahead. Uh, because that secondhand thing, you, you know, people with good intentions will ask for prayer for someone and they would, they, they would prefer it's kept private or worded differently or things like that. So you have to be really careful with, even when a need is made known, sometimes people in the life of the church have really great intentions behind that, but they might also have a need to feel important. They might have, uh, they might not understand the situation correctly. Um, it might be gossip. 
Um, so you just have to be really careful with those things and try to get to the source of, so when, before we post a prayer request in our prayer chain email and different things, we always try to contact that person directly and say, Hey, is it okay if we post this? Um, we had a prayer request come in for you and just wanted to check in. How are things going? And is there any ways we can help you? And is it okay if we post this prayer request? So yeah. that's kind of the intake is, is a challenge though. I hear that all the time. Um, yeah. and things still slip through the cracks for us. Yeah. Um, that, that's good. I think, um, so that's crisis care. Right. And then I think about what's, I would say group care. So particularly if somebody doesn't have a small group or they're not really plugged into the church, do we have regular, clearly defined opportunities for people to jump into a group to talk about an issue like a divorce group, a, a grief care, you know, group? It, it, do we have those groups available often, perhaps a recovery group, um, where they can, where they know about it and they can jump in? Mm-hmm. And I think that's an area where we definitely need to grow. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about how do we also create more prayer opportunities within the life of the congregation. And for us, that means Sunday morning, because I, I know this is true of most churches, but especially ours with our culture of commuters to New York City, we have such limited time that they won't give you a whole lot else besides one hour on Sunday morning. There are a lot of reasons for that I can go into, but we feel a lot of pressure to provide prayer opportunities around worship more. So what we started doing was on communion Sundays, at least in the four corners of our sanctuary, uh, we have our prayer team members there to pray with people if they need it. And, um, you know, that's one way of kind of creating that, that contact. I think so. Uh, Yeah. That prayer team is a great idea. Um, and, I would say too, when it comes to the the prayer teams, what we found is um, we may need to identify another space for that for that group to go to um, because we're getting cranked up for the next part of the service or whatever, and yeah. it's it's loud. People are talking in there, and so we've been struggling with how to set the, those folks up for success. Not only make them visible, but then also um, uh, create an environment where they can do that well. So, yeah. That's a, that's a tough one too. Um, but yeah. that group, so I want to come back to the, the, the sort of the support group or care groups. Um, because I think these, this is an important topic and we know how useful, um, sort of groups can be for, for the healing process, the grief process, the, the support process or, or different things. So how does that, how would that look? Do you think, I mean, this is something that's a growing edge for us. Do you wait until someone says I'm willing to lead? Do you take sort of a proactive approach to creating some of these groups. I don't know. What's your gut tell you on, on that? Well, I think in a perfect world, you, you have it ready to go, even if there are no members in that group. Um, so that you're ready from the beginning to take them in as they come in. I, you know, the downside is, is that you might have a trained up leader ready to go. Who's disappointed that they continually aren't getting people to join their group. Yeah. But I think that's worth the risk to make sure that you have something in place. Cause I think it's, I think it can also work the other way, but I feel like a whole bunch of people are falling through the fishing net, you know, during that process because so many people won't raise their hand and you can't advertise there's a group yet until you have a group. So, you know, it's I catch think 22 a little bit. It, it really uh, is. It's tough. And I think here too, this is where I think, um, I, I need to stop and go, okay, Care in, in groups is really crucial. If we can help people get well or, or be healthy, then they can begin to l- live out the mission of God more fully in their lives too. 
Yeah. Know, so this is, it, it is disciple making. Our care for each other is disciple making as much as anything else and helping people get well and be whole as part of what Jesus was doing uh, consistently. And how are we doing it at, at creating those environments for that, that work to happen? And uh, that's something where we're kind of coming up short. And it, it, it's tricky, though, because what are the needs and what's appropriate? And because what can happen, and we've had this here a few times, sometimes um, a need will present itself for a while and a group like that will go, like a grief support group, for instance. Yeah. And then the need sort of dries up. And the leaders of the, the grief group say, well, you need to find more people for my group. And you're like, well, there's nobody, there's no people right now. And then it sort of creates this weird thing where you're manufacturing energy or trying, you know, doing yeah. things to try to generate a need that doesn't exist really. And so it, it's a really, it's tough. It's pretty, you have to be adaptable and willing to, to change and, and end things and start things and as needs present themselves. One of the, an example of that here, I'm, I'm sure a number of folks out there have uh, Stephen, Stephen's ministry things that go on in their church. People have been trained in Stephen's ministry. Really, I mean, excellent training. Walk alongside people, listen, give, you know, um, you know be a listening ear and not, you're not there to tell them what to do, but just to kind of be that encouragement along the way. But what we found here, we had something like 50 people trained in our congregation as Stephen ministers. We were having one or two people asking for a Stephen minister every year, total. And so yeah. you have all these people who are trained and, and wanting to be helpful and wanting to long, walk alongside people and, and coming to the pastor, pastoral team and staff here and saying, you need to find people for us to minister to because we've been trained. And I said, but it, it just, there weren't <laughs> enough needs, right? So right. it's one of those things, a tricky balance. And what how do mean we I have to find? Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. So it, it's one of those things that in the care life of the church, needs are going to change and, and, and. But having sort of that on-call resource like you're talking about, I think yeah. is a good idea. You have to have leaders with the right heart who are willing to sit on the sideline indefinitely until the time comes or something. It's, it's tough. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up Stevens Ministers because um, we also, we had the same thing. We had uh, Stevens Ministers here and no or hardly any clients or, you know, yeah. uh, anybody. Were, so they actually became our prayer team. Yeah, we, that's great. We ended Stephen's ministry, and I think all but one decided to continue as our prayer team because yeah. they're put already training to like put that training to, to use. Pray. Yeah, put it to use in another yeah. way. And we have the same thing. Stephen's ministry has come to an end here, and it doesn't make it. it, it I mean, it was a great thing for a long, long time. Absolutely, I, I think the way that people um, ha- kind of were more open to formal counseling now, we're more likely to turn to our friend group, groups and circles and share a little bit more vulnerably with people. So some, in some ways, some of that Stephen's ministry stuff that was so important for a season, we're finding other outlets for that, either through formal counseling or in our established circles. And um, just so the need changed. And yeah. I think that's why I've heard that from others too, that Stephen's ministry, that training is so valuable. How do we help those people find a new outlet for that training? And it sounds like prayer team was the right fit for you guys. Yeah. And then lastly, I mean, again, um, for those listening, you could tell like I've got a lot more questions than answers on this topic and I'm kind of processing it in real time. But one thing that I, I recently saw through uh, Dan Ryland's stuff on, from 12 Stone Church, by the way, I'm going to give you a golden nugget right now, all you listeners. If you go to 12 Stone Church, they have put um, on their website, you have to join, it's free, you have to join. They've put all their like back office stuff 
up online, like all their processes, all their documents. Let me tell you something. It is worth your time. Just you better have a whole day to waste though, because you're going to go in there and they've got, they've, it's amazing what they have and how they've outlined all their processes. But one of the things I just saw though, that was intriguing to me was they have a pastor on call pretty much all the time. Now I know they're a giant organization and that's just how it works. But I thought about the idea of a hotline and would something like an on-call hotline, even if it wasn't 24 hours or just where someone can leave voice messages about care needs, I guess the concern would be you do have your frequent flyers who might call all the time and that will create a certain amount of pressure to get back to them. And you'll also have some people who are just totally outside your community and they're fishing for whatever they fishing for. Mm-hmm. But is something like that worth it if you have the bandwidth or the resources to pull it off? I, I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a good thought for sure that there would be um, one of the things that was voiced as we were making changes in our care ministries was well, what happens in an emergency need if if we're not checking the office voicemail and how are we going to, you know, on the weekend, say on Saturday, uh, what happens if there's an emergency need or if I really need to get in touch with somebody and, you know, uh, emailing through the website or calling the church office isn't getting to get in touch with anybody. And so we've wrestled with some ideas. One was a call forwarding. We would have someone on our staff or elder team be on call on a given weekend or when, you know, uh, and that, that if you have a, a care emergency need, press one and it'll forward it to their phone. Um, so we've toyed around with some of those, uh, you know, calls, call uh, system kinds of things. Um, but what I've found is this, in the 10 years that I've been here at Marineview, we missed only one pastoral care call on a weekend where there was an emergent need that they didn't have the ability to get in touch with us in some other way. Yeah. So, it, so typically in our life, most people are connected enough with each other in groups and in relation, individual relationships that they there is a way for that information to be made known. And only one time it was a daughter of a member who didn't have any other contact except for the church office. It was a Saturday night. She called my mom is in her last moments. Can someone come? And we missed it. And that was, that was hard, which is why we circle back around to this, this idea of a call forwarding system from our church office line, just in case. But in my experience, almost everybody has the ability to work within our network or our, or, or their circles to, to get in touch with the right people. Um, yeah. and even our, our cell phones are listed in our online directory. So, um, we're pretty accessible and, uh, anyway, so, but yeah, you, you got to address that, right? I mean, it is a hotline. It'd be great to have a hotline with pastor on call all the time, but is that, that's something you and I can't do all the no. time. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I mean, this may be, I don't know if this is, you know, just something only, only, huge churches can pull off or, or not, but man, this but is good stuff. I've, and I've yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's just, well, kind of going back to that. I think it gives people whatever it does, however people often they use it, it gives them sort of the reassurance that there's a resource there, right? Exactly. That they can call it. Um, I, the last thing I would mention here is um, we've been working really hard with our deacons to hone in on a specific strategy for them to move from the ones seen as the ones doing the care to the ones facilitating and creating a culture of care at Marine View. And so what they've done is they've generated teams for yard work, rides, meals, 
uh, communion, service, um, hospitality, all these various things that the deacons have typically done. And then we've presented that to the congregation and we say, all, it's all of our job to care for each other. Um, we need everybody here to sign up for one or two of those teams to be part of the care ministry. Oh, that's team. good. That's really so good. Then, so the yard work team, I think, has like 13 people on it. So if a need, hey, I, I, you know, I've been in the hospital for two weeks. Um, someone needs to go and mow my lawn. Is there any way, do we have a high school student that could do that? Was like, hey, let's, the deacon's going to reach out to our yard work team and they're going to, um, somebody from the yard work team is going to come and mow, the, mow your lawn for you. You know, don't worry about it. Or someone from the meal team is going to organize meals um, from the congregation, not just the deacons doing all the work. So what we said is it's not, it's not okay for the pastor and the deacons to do all the work for two reasons. One, it's a ceiling on our, on our ability to care well. We're going to miss stuff. We can't be everywhere all the time. Uh, and as the senior pastor, it's probably not the best use of us as a resource. Now, you and I, Jason, we're equipped and trained in a crisis. If someone's dying, um, if there's a traumatic event, you and I are trained and equipped to do that maybe in a way that others aren't. We need to be there for those kinds of things. But there are any, a whole bunch of other people that can provide meaningful care in other ways. So we said, it's all of our job to care, be a part of one of these teams, and we're going to call on you when needs arise. And the deacons now draw on that resource rather than seeing themselves as the ones that have to meet the needs themselves. So does that make sense, Senator, that shift yeah. from yeah. doing care to facilitating care? And, and so that's in the beginning phases, and it's really exciting to see people uh, signing up to be, be on those care teams, uh, excited to partner with the deacons and, and to help out. And it's been really refreshing to the deacons we don't have to do it all ourselves. Yeah. We're connected to a bigger, a bigger resource. And it's allowed us to, to, to uh, reduce the number of deacons that we need to, to recruit and train as well. So um, lots of good things about that particular process. Good stuff, man. Well, hey, I, I would love to hear from our listeners on this topic. What are some things that have helped you or what are some things that are really working in establishing a, either a culture of care in the life of your church or, or, and or a system of care in the life of your church. Um, it would be awesome if we could hear from you and probably the easiest way is to jump onto our Facebook group. Um, we, if you search us, you know, we got a reclaim leader podcast. We have our own Facebook group and you just ask to join the group if you're not already on it. And, uh, sometimes we give some stuff away and I think we're due for a giveaway coming up. So, uh, want to encourage everyone to get on the Facebook group and let us know. I'm going to pose a question on there about care, uh, ministries. Yeah. Teach us something. Yeah, we please, need, we need please, some help. Man, I, I need yeah. a vowel. I need yeah. to buy a vowel and yeah. I need I need your help. So yeah. uh no, really, I would love to hear from from everyone um who would be willing to share. I just feel like we can all learn from each other. And this is an area that I feel like I really need some good best practices on. And where frankly, guys, you know, like Jason, you and I, it's not where our mind goes first, right? right. And and it can right. become a become can become a blind spot or a a weakness if we're not careful to create a really great system for care. And so, yeah, we, we need your input. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, here we are verbally processing and kind of the things <laughs> that you go. I mean, this is leading in the church, right? Trying to figure these things out and, and to do our That's best. It. That's it. And uh, our listeners may be wondering, hey, man, you haven't done an interview in a while. We do have some great interviews coming up with some guests. Uh, we're doing a few episodes uh, on our own, though, as we're, you know, uh, to be honest, the the pressure of getting guests week to week gets to be a lot after after over a year of doing it. So I think it's good to take a step back for us as 
full-time pastors, you know, we need to take a little step back from that. And I think it's good because we're able to process all this stuff and, but don't worry, we got some great, I'm really excited for some of our guests coming up. Some fun stuff coming up, Jason. And uh, yeah, so I hope you all are having a great week out there and thanks for tuning in. We'll keep the conversation going because leading change, leading, just plain and simple, leading in the church is hard enough, but leading change in the church is tough. So we hope all these conversations are helping you to lead change without losing your roots. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey.